0: It's, it's really weird. I'm going to go see a production of Wicked, and I'm just like, all right, which one of these people is going to be at my deathbed? Hello, and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck-building site on the web for the Commander format EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Valduk-Morgan.
1: I don't know who Valduk is. It's not me, but he's my best friend. (laughs) Next, the
0: man whose articles remind you to look in the margins. Dana, Reki, History of Kamigawa Roach.
2: I was wondering what you're going to go with there for my uh, super cool middle name. I'll take Reki. That's all right. I'm good with that. And I'm Joey the Mimeoplasm Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown
0: series. (laughs) All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? We've got Planeswalkers. All of the Planeswalkers. Yes, we do. Commander 2018 has some new Planeswalkers as Commanders, so we figured that we would dive a little bit into the data that we have on EDHREC about the top Planeswalkers of all time and see if we can't find any interesting nuggets of wisdom among all of that data. You guys ready? I am absolutely ready for this. (laughs) Awesome. But before we get started, we've got a couple of things to talk about. First, I want to ask if you guys played any fun games or made any new brews recently?
1: I finally got to unveil... Miri Weatherlight Duelist. Um I had it like I had it online for a little bit that I would play every now and then on, you know, um Hex Mage and stuff like that, but I finally built it in paper, and I wondered if you guys knew what would happen when you have a Pathbreaker Ibex, and then you have a cultivator <laughs> of blades, and then you have a bunch of Mana Dorks, and then you play Crater Hoof Behemoth and
0: attack. I- I don't know precisely what happens, but I know that when it did happen, you could not stop sending us messages about it. I know it was great. Yeah, that <laughs> that sounds genocidal.
1: It was. Oh, there were so many maths to be had. It was. It was great.
0: Yeah, sounds like a really interesting deck. I'm not looking forward to playing it ever, uh, but I'm glad that you got the chance to to finally run it out there
1: in the wild. Oh, it was so it was so good. I, I had a lot of fun like I knew I always wanted to play it and always loved the card. It's probably, like I've been saying for a while, it's one of my favorite green-white commanders, and I finally, like, very rough draft 1.0. Like, I didn't have Cryptolith Riot or Glare of Subdual or some of the other, like, utility cards. I just had a bunch of generic, good, green-white cards that just happened to be great. Uh, so, yeah, that was <laughs> yes. a lot of fun. And it's, I also got to Mindslaver lock a try-hard. Cause he was taking it way too seriously, and Moldrotha has a Mind Slaver in there. And if you have ten mana, they don't get to take their turn ever again, because you're taking it the whole time, and that was that was neat too. You're a mean man, Mr. Morgan. <laughs> and hey, I I am myself a, a very
0: proud tryhard as well. Dana, how about you? Any fun new Brews?
2: Um, I'm kind of semi-brewing up a Varnia Lich Queen deck out of the or of Arena, I should, excuse me, um, out of the new sets, so I might wind up putting that together. I haven't decided if I want to go any further than the Rough Draft I have digitally, but I kind of like it. I, I had tried a Sadisi Brood Tyrant deck because I wanted to build kind of a zombie token deck a while ago, and it, I just, I just didn't like something about it. I felt like I was trying to do too many different things, so I think this might be a little bit more focused. But I don't entirely know yet. It's gonna to have to kind of sit here and and brew in my own head for a while before I figure out if I want to put it together in the real. Um, so that's the main thing right now I'm working on. Uh, I think that's gonna be the probably the one deck I build out of C eighteen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've actually my most recent brews have all been like I have the ninety 99- nine. Raring and ready to go for when Wind Grace finally arrives at my doorstep. I'm like concocting a Yannette Cryptic Sovereign. I'm just really, really excited. So, all of my brewing has been for upcoming stuff, and I've got the decks ready to go. I just need the actual commander to arrive.
2: Well, we don't have long to wait at this point. No, 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 no.
0: no we don't. And hey, Matt, you mentioned Miri earlier, and that I think ties really nicely into a listener question that we've got this week. We got an email from a listener, and they had a question about our opinion for one of their upcoming decks. Do you mind? Reading us that email so we can answer that question?
1: Yeah, for sure. So this email comes from Christopher, Christopher, I can't say your your last name either, Procop, I want to say. Um, Chris, if I butchered that, I'm sorry. Uh, but his email says, hey guys, I could use an opinion on a green-white token super friends deck I'm brewing. I can't decide between Mary Weatherlight Duelist and Tristani as my commander. Both will end up in the 99, but I can't figure out which strategy would be better in my creature heavy play group. Any advice will be much appreciated. As a side note, I really enjoy the cast and it makes my 2 a.m. wake-ups with my newborn so much easier. Best regards, Chris, sent for my iPhone.
0: Chris, we appreciate the email so much. Thank you. I'm going to pass it off to you guys first. What are your thoughts about which commander seems best fit for the style of deck you mentioned?
1: To continue off my rant about Miri and how great she is on offense, if you're playing a tokens and super friend you know, type deck, one thing that you're going to want to do is protect your your planeswalkers that you're playing. If you're you know you have all sorts of people out there, uh, Mary's actually really good on defense. We kind of talked about this on our underplayed commander episode. Uh, but when Mary's tapped, only one creature can attack you. So kind of setting up a crawl space type effect means a only one creature obviously can attack you, but they can only attack one of your planeswalkers at a time.
0: Uh, 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 I gotta stop you there and this is actually why I happen to disagree with you while Mary Weatherlight Duelist is really really cool, she actually says on her text, as long as Mary Weatherlight Duelist is tapped, no more one, wow I can't talk at all, <laughs> no more than one creature can attack you each combat that's just you each combat oh. I looked up her gatherer rulings and it says while Mary is tapped, there's no restriction on how many creatures can attack planeswalkers you control, Well, that's a really important distinction
1: well lie to your friends then Right,
2: right. <laughs> Well, you know what Matt? we can fix this. Um, our editor puts in like 15,20 hours and he can probably make you sound like you know what you're talking about, so that'll all work That's... out in post.
1: I, I have a feeling just the way that you said that you're, you're hinting towards, hey, don't don't edit that) <laughs> <laughs> So I really do like Miri,
0: and even though it may not protect necessarily all of your Planeswalkers, it's still a good option if the way that you're planning on winning the game is to make a bunch of creatures and attack people with them, because that means that your opponents can't block very well. Like She makes it so that they can only block with one thing, and as you mentioned in the previous games that you had with your brand new Miri deck, that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. But for my personal case, I would have to say that Tressani seems a more intuitive choice, because she would be able to populate more of your creature tokens which would give you more blockers for your Planeswalkers. So that would be my main instinct. I think that Dana's got a different opinion than both of us here, though.
2: We were given two choices, and I'm going to go with a third option, which would be Reese the Redeemed. And here's why. Uh, I actually had a, a Super Friends token deck once upon a time. Um, it wasn't Selesnya, but it was kind of two-thirds of that. It was in red, white, and green. So it, it was Reese, excuse me, uh, Rith the Awakener was the commander. So I've played kind of a version of this deck before, and the biggest thing I wanted out of the command zone was my commander to be able to make tokens with no restriction really at all. The deck did the rest of the stuff I needed it to do on its own. Uh, Tristani's fine because he comes down and he's got a 2-5 body that's a blocker, but you need to have tokens in play to populate anyway, and I don't love that. I think the life gain is not that amazing. Uh, I think Miri's fine as well. I think she's... She's a nice offensive tool. Reese the Redeemed is awful to deal with because you can remove him six times and he's still castable. I mean, he's a pain in the butt to get off the field and keep off the field. And the ability to to basically double the amount of tokens you have into play is disgusting. And if you've got a doubling season out, you're making four copies then. Like as a finisher, and I found the lice when I was playing the deck, I didn't need – My commander to do anything will put me over the top, and Reese lets you go over the top in a way I think the other two don't.
0: My only issue with that is just that, I mean, while he did mention that he's building a Planeswalker, you know, Super Friends deck, so there might be some flexibility with budget since we know that those decks do tend to run a little higher since most Planeswalkers are a little bit more expensive. Reese himself is like a $26 card, so if you're looking for a more budget option that also provides, as Dana was mentioning, having more blockers or getting more creatures on the field, I think Tristani's a good option there. I still think you should lie to your friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. When Mary stopped, you totally can't attack my planeswalkers. Oh. No. Is this how you win your games, Matt? Maybe. <laughs> Any port We've storm. <laughs> We've got one more announcement that I think is pretty worthwhile to note. We recently guested on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast. We were guests on their episode 299.2. Not officially episode 300, but... Or yeah, 301.
2: I think, I think, though, like, those guys probably deserve it. They've been struggling for a lot of years with viewership, and I think, I don't know, it was nice of us to kind of maybe put them over the top, give them some, <laughs> some listens that maybe they hadn't had in the past. So I I thought that was, that was pretty cool of us to do for them.
0: Yeah, very, very kind of us, indeed. <laughs> No, it was a really fun episode. You should definitely head on over there and check them out. All of us get roasted pretty hardcore because you know how those guys tend to be. But it was a lot of fun to show up there and talk about Commander 2018.
2: It was a lot of fun. And it was actually a nice, uh, it was nice to look at the stuff from a different POV because, like, we spent our entire show talking about things from a a real, like, playability point of view. And they're not really looking at it that way. They want to analyze what their card is going to be worth. And that's a bit of a different thing because because you're taking into account people maybe misreading a card and overrating it and overpaying for it, those kind of things. So that was just an interesting way to look at the cards from an evaluation standpoint that was different than what we had just done.
1: Yeah, well, and they do something really cool. They they yes, they're part of the MTG finance world, whatever you want to you know interpret that to be, but their their main goal about it, which is really nice for you know us players, is they're not trying to so much tell you how to make money off of it, but more how to not overpay for things. You know, make sure exactly. yeah. make sure you're getting ahead of, of the curve. You know, Jason on Brainstorm Brewery, he's always talking about, you know, according to the EDH rec stats, this is what it says. That means that this price is wrong. So it's just helping give a different point of view. You know, we give you context, like Joey said, as players on, you know, what all the, you know, what everything means, how we evaluate cards, but then they're looking at it from a standpoint of you know, based off all the playability, based off how many people are trying to, you know, put this into decks, you probably want to get, you know, get your two or three copies of this now rather than pay twice as much later. So um, it was just something really cool just to be part of. And um, just personally, you know, Jason's one of the guys that got me into making content for ADHRx. So it was really fun to go on his podcast and, uh, you know, get to join in on his fun too. Yeah, ton of fun. You guys should
0: definitely go check it out. But let's move now into our main topic. We're going to be talking about the top planeswalkers according to EDH Rec. We've got a whole lot of numbers here, and when we measure them by percentage as opposed to actual total number index, things can kind of get a little messy. So you'll have to bear with us because the statistics are definitely all over the place. Dana, do you want to start us off talking about a handful of the top planeswalkers that we see here on EDH Rec?
2: Um. Sure. So, which list do we want to talk about first? The percentage of decks or the actual, like, true hard numbers in terms of popularity? There- Let's start with some.
0: Yeah, totally interrupted you. Apologies. But I think it might be helpful to see the true hard numbers first.
2: Okay. Um, well, I'll, like, the top three I will quick go down. Um, Elspeth Sun's Champion is an 18,260 decks. Tezrit the Seeker is in 14,413, so there's a pretty big drop-off of 4,000 decks there. And then just a little short hop down to Liliana Vess is in 14,407. So those are the top three. Um, then you're dropping down another like 2,000 to get to Ugin, Spirit Dragon, and Wild Wildspeaker. And Jace the Mind Sculptor rounds out the uh, group of six Planeswalkers that have more than 10,000 decks.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really star-studded cast right there. You got things like Ugin, you got Jace the Wallet Sculptor, you got Elspeth, Sun's Champion. These are really, really awesome Planeswalkers. Seeing these as the most built Planeswalkers just by number of decks, what are some impressions that you
2: guys get? D- does it help you give a read on the format, maybe, or? Um, the first thing I would take away from from that list, as well as just looking the rest of the way down. Um, Planeswalkers are much more prevalent, uh, or the the monocolor planeswalkers, or in the case of Ugin, no color planeswalker, um, are much more prevalent in decks. I think in part, number one, you know, they fit in more decks, but but number two, I think the planeswalkers tend to almost always have a double casting cost requirement in terms of the colored mana, if not a triple. I think it's just so much easier to play um, the single color walkers in your, you know, one or two color deck than it is to try to try to jam in Bolas in a five color deck or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think being mono color kind of helps fit into more decks. You know, we have to look just below Jace to get to Venser for our first two color Planeswalker. And he's kind of narrow as well. He does a lot of flicker effects, which is common in blue-white. But for the most part, you know, all those mono color and, or, you know, no color, it just helps get into as many different decks as possible. You're not shoehorned into you know, blue white X, for example. I was kind of surprised to see Jace as high as he was, just like Joey said, Jace the wallet sculptor, but maybe players aren't as price conscious when it comes to planeswalkers. Maybe that's just because they have kind of a a mystique about them, whatever you want to say. But I was kind of surprised to see Jace and then, you know, Karn's only a few spots lower and Karn's equally as expensive.
2: So you know. Jace Jace surprised me if for no other reason I don't think he's necessarily that good of a planeswalker. I think there's probably two Jaces that are better than the Mind Sculptor in EDH. Um, so I was just surprised, like both from a price point factor and the fact that it's just not that amazing necessarily of a Planeswalker to see it that high in the list.
0: Right, that's actually something that I noticed as well, Matt. You brought up a really great point there too. But in general, what I see from these main Planeswalkers here, just by you know measuring them by popularity by number of decks. These tend to be the Planeswalkers that do something big when they come down. Elspeth Sun's Champion, as soon as you put that out there, you've got three blockers, which means she ain't dying. Tezzeret the Seeker and Liliana Vess are both going to tutor things for you, which is pretty helpful. Ugin the Spirit Dragon, he's going to get rid of everything that you don't like on the board. Like these Planeswalkers especially do tend to have a pretty significant impact, which is something that makes Jace the Mind Sculptor kind of an anomaly. He has a lot of abilities. He can bounce something. He can brainstorm for you. He can look at the top card of either yours or someone else's library and those are all kind of minor and Dana I think you're right him in particular he's got a lot of clout to him but in EDH more specifically it's a little less awesome because as we know like when people see that you've got a planeswalker they're going to attack it so that's what stands out to me about all of the planeswalkers that we're seeing here they tend to either be super famous in the case of like Ugin or Jace, or they tend to have a huge impact on the board in the case of Ugin or Elspeth as soon as they hit the field on the first turn.
2: They also seem to, I would say, be cards that are kind of universally good. Like there's almost no situation where Sun's champ coming down and making you three tokens isn't good. There's almost no situation in a black deck where Liliana Vess getting you a swamp to hand or being able to tutor isn't really, really useful. So I feel like Girk Wildspeaker, untapping two lands, that's always going to be doing a thing. Um uh, a seeker, untapping two mana rocks is almost always going to do something. So there, there are planeswalkers also that fit in a whole lot of different decks. They are not, I wouldn't say narrow until you get down to maybe Venzer. And even Venzer isn't that narrow. I mean, being able to to bounce or to me, to um, blink a permanent you own and bring it back is pretty useful in most situations.
0: Yeah, and he can also make all of your stuff unblockable. Are you yeah. kidding? He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Are there any of these planeswalkers that you're surprised aren't you
2: know seeing higher numbers? Uh, Tamio the Moon Sage, I was a little bit surprised, it was as low as she was. I always feel like she is really impactful when I see her come down. Um, she's a monocolored one. So I just, I actually, if if Tamio and Jace were, because Tamio is, I think, number uh, 11 or 12 on the list. Um, she's only in 7,674 decks. I think if Tamio and uh, jace were swapped that would have made complete sense to me yeah
1: i yeah, i, I was totally actually see that. i was looking at the list and i was thinking tamio too just tamio super super powerful just being able to tap down teams and uh, really control the board a lot better than just bouncing a creature because this is commander you know bouncing a creature sometimes sure it saves you from getting attacked that next turn but most of the time they're going to have some sort of end of the battlefield effects um, something that they're going to want to do anyway so yeah jace the mind sculptor Fantastic in in you know sixty card formats, but in in commander he just kind of underwhelms. Tameo, though, uh, that was the one that jumped out at me as well. And Duretti, uh, Scrap Savant being solo, kind of surprised me a little bit too, just because um, we'll get to this point later. But he's one of the most built as a commander, and you know he's part of that cycle of of planeswalkers that can be your commander. So I was thinking he would be a little bit higher, just because and you know he's just a good mono red, com- uh, not commander, but planeswalker. Uh, just being able to, to rummage a little bit, find some cards. He's, I mean, he's better than Tybalt by a little bit.
0: <laughs> he's much everyone's better than Tybalt.
1: Come hey, on. hey, now, <laughs> I, I built a deck once and the whole goal was to make Tybalt playable.
0: Did it succeed?
1: Uh, well, there was an Alicia who smiles at death deck and it wasn't bad. I'll say that much because <laughs> I, okay. I wanted things in the graveyard. So it didn't really matter what I discarded. I was either going to cast it or bring it back anyways. So yeah, Tybalt wasn't bad necessarily, but I I don't know if I really succeeded either.
0: Matt, the Tybalt apologist, Morgan. Matt, the Tybalt agnostic. All right, that's fair. Dana, I see that you also collected some data for us about the flip planeswalkers, such as Liliana Heretical Healer and Kithian Hero of Akros. These are some pretty interesting numbers too. What observations do we have about them, guys?
2: Liliana's the most popular of the five because there's five of these flip walkers that were in, um, in Origins. And I guess technically now we have the, the bolus, but we just didn't have enough data because he's so new. Mm-hmm. Liliana's most popular, 566 decks where she's a commander. Uh, Nissa Vastwood Seer is second. Just behind her is Jace Friends Prodigy. Chandra, Fire of Kaladesh, is at 326. And then Kaithion, Hero of Akros is at 187. So Kaithion's...
0: And to clarify, these are them as commanders or in the ninety-nine. These are
2: as commanders. Gotcha. So so these are the, the creatures that then flip into Planeswalker. So, I mean, they're not technically a Planeswalker commander, but, I mean, they functionally are a way to kind of do that. My surprise there was Liliana. I, I always thought she seemed... Somewhat weak compared, to, particularly compared to Nissan and Jace, and she's ahead of both of them. So that that surprised me actually.
0: Yeah, but dude, Reanimator, it's the best. That's what I've been trying to tell but you guys so all many, this time. I guess, mm. but there's so many
2: other ways to do that in black. I feel like like you're just playing Bad Chainer kind of at that point. Mm, I, see, I see your point, yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I'm not where really su-
1: well, no, I was going to say, I'm not really surprised to see them in so low numbers in general, just because mm. once they do flip, even like they're not terribly powerful as Planeswalkers to begin with.
2: Well, the, the, the Jace Vrynce Prodigy being the third one kind of surprised me because particularly when you see Wallet Sculptor being as high as he is among <laughs> actual planeswalkers and decks, I thought the same thing would translate here because Vrynce Prodigy is kind of the, the next most famous of the Jaces for the most part. It's also relatively expensive compared to everything. So I thought the same thing would apply here. Like People might overrate it and run it more frequently. And, and it's also the commander you would run if you wanted like Jace tribal and jace is supposedly the most popular walker so i assume there will be people that want to run a jace based deck i just figured jace would be number one by a mile and he's he's third that that really shocked me
0: you mentioned a, a jace themed deck or something like that that's actually something that i tried to put together for liliana heretical healer to make a liliana story deck but Grizzlebrand is grizzle <laughs> which makes it really hard to actually complete that deck and Ah, I'm a completionist, so ah, just it was almost there for me. I'm still considering putting it together, frankly. Uh, you should. Let's move now, though. I, you know, I just might, really. I actually still might. Uh, let's move from the hard numbers that we looked at, you know, the total number of decks, and let's move on now to a more percentage perspective. Just looking at some hard numbers doesn't always tell us enough about the nature of these Planeswalkers, because looking at the number of decks, you know, some of them... They are biased more because they were released earlier, so they've had more time to be put into decks. So one of the things that EDHREC also does is measures the popularity of these cards based on the number of decks that they could have shown up in. And when we look at it with that lens, we actually get a pretty dif- a pretty different perspective here that I think is really interesting. Dana, how about you tell us now about the actual top Planeswalkers by percentage?
2: Sure. Um, so the top three by percentage much different than the top three by numbers because these are all multicolor Planeswalkers. Number one is Nicol Bolas, Planeswalker, and he's in 6,280 decks, which is 19% of the decks that can run him are. Um, number two is Tamiya Field Researcher. She's in 18% of the decks that can run her. She's also three colors. And then the number three one is, again, Venzer the Sojourner, who is in 17% of the decks that can run him as a two-color Planeswalker. So that that actually genuinely kind of surprised me as well. Yeah, me too. I
0: was when I first took a look at this page. I was just like, "Oh, I'm sure I know exactly what the top Planeswalkers are going to be." No, I was wrong. I was very wrong, and I, I'm not used to being wrong. So,
1: well, you better get used to that part because you're you're you're, <laughs> you're zero and two already against me.
0: So, uh, for the bets for our set review, yes, 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 I am. All right, fine there, Mr. I'm Always Right Morgan. What do you think about these numbers that we're seeing with all these multicolored Planeswalkers being the most popular by percentage?
1: Bolas um, doesn't surprise me. I I have kind of said a couple times, you know, there's a lot of, you know, just Grixis folk out there who just, they love Bolas, they love the flavor, they love the, how powerful he is, and he's a very, very powerful card. Tameo doesn't surprise me at all, because it I, a lot of the hubbub... Lately, uh, towards the Rules Committee has been, you know, when are all Planeswalkers going to be eligible to be your commander? And if that was the case, Tamiyo Field Researcher would have been my band commander years ago. Um, she just does so much, and she's such a cool card. It doesn't really surprise me. And the, the field, we have to keep in mind, for three-color decks is much, much smaller than any card running, you know, white in general, or red in general, or green, whatever. Um, so it doesn't take near as many decks for Nicol Bolas, you know, being played for his percentage to go up higher because you know, I I would say what you guys think forty percent of decks out there are playing white, so Elspeth Sun's Champion has to be in that many more decks to to outpace Nicol Bolas. Right,
0: exactly. Nicol Bolas Planeswalker shows up in 19% of 32,561 decks, as opposed to Elspeth, Sun's Champion, who shows up in 15% of 118,628 decks. So while it does give us a good perspective for percentage, sometimes looking at those hard numbers is also really useful, because by sheer numbers, Elspeth is like way more popular, because not every deck can run Nicol Bolas, so it is kind of a bigger deal when decks do run Elspeth, as opposed to when they could run Nickel Bolas.
2: Yes, exactly. And one thing I will mention about Bolas too in particular, um, being in Grixis, you don't really have a good way to deal with enchantments in those three colors short of, you know, counterspell basically. The, the kind of go-to for dealing with a permanent, particularly in those kind of colors, is something like Spine of Isha or um, Unstable Obelisk or Scar from Existence, all of which are colorless ways to deal with problems, particularly enchantments, that all cost seven mana. Except for this case, Bolas also costs – he's eight mana, I guess, but his minus three is – or excuse me, his his plus three is destroy target non-creature permanent. I mean, he's essentially a way for roughly the same cost as you'd pay for Spine of Isha or something to deal with that permanent that you maybe can't otherwise deal with in those colors. And after you do it, you've got a Planeswalker sitting there at eight loyalty threatening to do the same thing again next turn or take someone's creature or whatever – so I, I would wager a lot of times you see Bulbas popping up in these Grixis decks just as a, as a way to solve problems.
0: That's a really good point. Another thing that was kind of interesting to me was the color biases among the top planeswalkers. If we take a look at the top planeswalkers, just say the top 10, six of the top 10 planeswalkers are blue, and only about three of them include white. I think three is actually a pretty magic number here. We've got about three of them that include red, about three of them that include black, and I think four that include green. But blue is definitely a little overrepresented when it comes to the top planeswalkers. Why do you guys think that might be?
2: Man, I don't know why it would swing that way for Planeswalkers in particular. Um, I, I I don't even know. I don't have a guess there, Matt. Do you have any anything that's popping in your head?
1: Not really. Like, if you would have asked me what the most, you know, common Planeswalker commander or color would have been, I would have guessed green, just because you think of Garrick Wildspeaker and Doubling Season and a lot of those that they were kind of the the gold standard as far as Planeswalkers go in commander. Um Garrick Wildspeaker, you know, obviously being able to untap lands and protect himself, and what obviously was in a precon as well you know several several years ago. I don't know if there's a good reason
2: why the color would be biased towards blue. I don't know how you would quantify this, but if I had to guess i would I would say that blue is the color that people play probably when they want to win via means that aren't turning creatures sideways. It tends to be the color that you know whether you're going for a combo win or lab man or whatever it is. So Planeswalkers maybe lend themselves more to that style of play than anything else. So if you're playing, you know, a kind of deck that's trying to win via non-creature combat, maybe you're running more Planeswalkers. That's that's just a guess. but
0: Right. And I, I was kind of with you guys going into this. I had expected that maybe green or possibly white would have been a little overrepresented here with the Planeswalkers because of things like doubling season. But I think what we might actually be missing isn't like the big, huge, expensive cards like doubling season, but actually the the smaller gains that blue can provide to planeswalker decks. If you're going to be running a lot of planeswalkers, blue is one of the masters of the proliferate mechanic. It's got things like inexorable tide or thrumming bird or steady progress. Not all of those are are really stellar cards, but they're enough. They're enough little extra pushes, and this is a a game of inches rather than like, you know, the the sudden all like you know people don't let you get away with the doubling season every time is i guess what i'm trying to say so getting a couple of extra additional values based off of your blue support cards that might be one of the reasons why we see blue a little overrepresented with these top planeswalkers
1: yeah well and blue just likes getting a lot of value you know you think of simic and doing all of its busted stuff so half of simic is blue uh, so i think that maybe might play a role in just getting all the, all the incremental advantages like you said joey um i think that might explain it a little bit, but I hadn't really thought of the color bias before you brought it up. So I was, yeah, I'm a little dumbfounded and trying to figure it out for myself.
0: Another thing might be, you know, green is the big stompy deck. So yeah, it's got doubling season, but it's also got hydras and crater hoof behemoths and pathbreaker ibexes or whatever the plural of that (laughs) is supposed to be. So when people are playing green, they're probably looking to be a little more classically green. They're looking to punch people in the face with some green. But when people are playing blue, the strategies are a lot more diverse and they tend to be a lot slower. So planeswalkers tend to have more of a chance to become valuable. That might be another explanation
2: yeah i would buy that you also have maybe more um fort effects in blue that are able to better protect your planeswalkers
0: yeah you've got a lot of really great defensive creatures one of my favorites is the card uh, fog bank and then i think guard Gomazo is another excellent example they prevent all damage that would be dealt to and by them so they're a really great thing to get right in your way when it comes to keeping your planeswalkers alive that's uh pretty pretty cool one other thing, though, we've talked a lot about the numbers so far, but what are your guys' thoughts just generally about Planeswalkers in EDH? Are they too good? Are they not good enough? What's your experience been with Planeswalkers in the game?
1: Well, I think we know Dana's opinion, considering he has a Jero with eyes open deck.
2: Um, I, I do have a Super Friends deck, and I said I did have the Super Friends Tokens deck earlier that I once upon a time that I've taken apart. I will, however, say that for the most part, they're kind of the spice that if you overdo it ruins the stew. I like planeswalkers, but for the most part, I think people tend to overdo how many they run. And I tend to not like seeing too many of them too, because they can lead to an awful lot of dirtle.
0: Yes. (laughs) Interesting. That hasn't quite been my experience. My experience with planeswalkers has been that as long as there's one on the battlefield, I am not worried. But as soon as I see two, I start to sweat. And as soon as I see three, I feel like I'm completely ruined because at that point there becomes such a diversity of things to evaluate. What's the most threatening that no matter what I attack, it's a catch 22. I'm totally screwed by that point. So it seems to be strategically for me, it's the type of thing that you have to nip in the bud or else it's going to really turn into a problem if you let them come out in triplicate or something like that.
1: Yeah. They're, they're very hard to play with. And I I mean that because they give a lot of decision trees, not there's not one way to play it. Like, you play a Woodfall Primus, it does one thing. You play a Mana Dork, it does one thing. You play, you know, a Planeswalker, it does three plus things. Um, so deciding <laughs> how to do it, what to do, it, it. I agree with Dane 100%. Like, if you get more than two Planeswalkers out, the game just slows down so much, and not enough players are just proficient uh, enough just to, to play at a good pace, so... I tend to, you know, kind of zone out a little bit once that happens. I had a buddy who, um, he played a Super Friends deck, and his turns would take, you know, 10 minutes, and it wasn't because he was playing slow. It's just there was so much going on and so much to keep up with. It, It really just slows down the pace. So I think they're fine. I think they're powerful. I think they're great to have around. and They're great to bring players into the game as well, too. But you need to be careful with them, because if you do have too much going on, it can kind of get in the way of, of just the experience of the game itself. To, to speak
2: to yeah. Joey's point about decision paralysis, um, before I went to GP Vegas, um, I spent the night Probably we flew out in Minneapolis and we went to a shop. I'm not going to go into too much specifics about where we played or anything, but I, I wound up playing my DeGero deck against a couple different people, but, but one of the games um, against a guy who had – I don't remember the deck, but he was clearly an experienced player. And because he, he opened like a volcanic island into something, and that you know, turn two was another, you know, ABUR duel. So he had $800 on the table within the first, you know, 40 seconds. He had no idea what to do with that DeGero deck, that mono white planeswalker deck. I put one walker down and then a second one. And he, like, he froze. He didn't know how to respond at all to, you know, me having four trash planeswalkers out. So that happens. Like, if, if you don't see that or you're not used to it, that can totally like throw you off your game
0: yeah i would say that lines up a lot with my experience as well once you're up against them it's the type of thing that you feel like you should be able to handle and then as soon as you're put into a position that you can't necessarily it's almost impossible to escape from it's a really interesting web that way
2: Whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes up, that's a good looking car, (laughs) check out The Big Three, available wherever
1: you get your podcasts, or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on
2: YouTube. There's so many walkers out right now, too. Like, once upon a time, I remember, you know, when I first got into the game, which was where I got back into the game, which was roughly Return to Ravnica era. At that point in time, there's like, what, 20 ish planeswalkers you could just remember every single planeswalker ability period someone would play a walker you would kind of know what all of those abilities were you knew what the starting loyalty was like the number was low enough you could just maintain that information and respond to it and know what you had to worry about what you didn't that's not the case anymore there's i don't even know what the number is but there's there's at least 100 planeswalkers right now and there's you know so many versions of jace and so many versions of gideon and whatever You just can't remember this Gideon's got a plus three and this Gideon has a plus two to do this ability. You can't keep it all in your head. You have to read all the cards. And that wasn't the case once upon a time.
0: Alrighty, guys. I'm loving this discussion, but we have another segment that we got to move on to, and that's Head to Head. Y'all know the drill. We're going to pick two cards, either in general or in a specific deck, and we're going to have the other guys guess which one is seeing more popular, more play, just a better percentage overall on the website. I've got a pretty cool one here. I'm looking specifically at an Atraxa Super Friends deck. I've used the theme filters on the Atraxa Praetor's Voice page to sort by the actually specifically Super Friends decks for Atraxa. We've got about 29.7% of the Atraxa decks on the site that are more specific to a Planeswalker theme. So within that context, which card do you think is more popular in an Atraxa Super Friends deck, the Chain Veil, or Oath of Teferi, both of which allow you to get extra activated abilities from your Planeswalkers.
1: Are we going by percentage, or are we going by number of decks?
0: Let's go by percentage, because Oath of Teferi is definitely a much newer card. So the numbers would, you know, that's a little cheap. It would automatically buy us towards the Chainville, just because it's been around a lot longer than Oath of Teferi.
1: Yeah, that, that, that was my concern too. So... What does Oath of Fairy do again? Because it's, like you said, it's pretty new. I'm I'm drawing a blank on the entire card. Yeah. I'll read them both for you, not a
0: problem. Oath of Teferi is a five mana Azorius enchantment that's three white blue for legendary enchantment that says, when it enters the battlefield, exile another target permanent you control. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. And you may activate the loyalty abilities of planeswalkers you control twice each turn rather than only once. Meanwhile, the chain veil is a four mana legendary artifact that says at the beginning of your end step, if you didn't activate a loyalty ability of a planeswalker this turn, you lose two life. Not really a big deal. And for four tap, you can activate it to say, for each Planeswalker you control, you may activate one of its loyalty abilities once this turn, as though none of its loyalty abilities have been activated this turn already. Which of those is more popular an attracts the Super Friends theme?
2: I am going to guess the Chain Veil is. Number one, it's the, the, the bias for having been around longer. So yeah, that, that's my only reason. They're both great cards, and I would probably absolutely run both of them if I was playing Attract Super Friends. But I'm gonna guess, just having been around longer, it's gonna have more Chain Veil's index.
1: I'm I'm really stumped on this one. I want I want to say Chain Veil just because it's specifically people know about it so well. It specifically deals with Planeswalkers. Um, it's abusable. You can you, you know if you have something to untap it. People talk about how it goes infinite with Teferi, Temporal Archmage. But being able to flicker something, I think, is pretty great. I just, I haven't seen any Oath of Teferi out in the wild. And so that's the, that's the big thing, just anecdotal, why I don't think it would be Oath of Teferi. So I'm going to agree with Dana and say it's Chain Veil, but I, it wouldn't surprise me because flickering things in blue-white's really good. Yeah, for
0: sure. Especially to reset the loyalty on your Planeswalkers. Exactly,
1: yeah. You can tick down, go down to one loyalty, reset it, play another, you know, two abilities, tick up, tick down. Um... I'm going to go Chain Veil with, like, 51% confidence. Well, I'm afraid
0: that you are 51% wrong as well. The uh, the Chain Veil shows up in 78% of Atraxodex, and Oath of Teferi is showing up in 95% of Atraxodex in the ones that it could have been in, the ones that have been built most recently since the Oath of Teferi was released. So yeah, Oath of Teferi is immediately popular. And to be honest, I think that price might have something sure. to do with this, because Oath of Teferi is currently a quarter to buy. So it's a perfect budget option for any type of attracted deck, regardless of you know how much money you're putting into your planeswalkers, whether you're going for big stuff like Ugin or you're going for small stuff like a like a, a small Nyssa or something like that, like Oath of Teferi is just knocking it out of the park right now.
1: Yeah, that makes sense if you're spending money, you know, to have a four color mana base and four color planeswalkers. We know you can afford the quarter to to get, you know, a Chain Veil light. Exactly. All right, Matt, what's your
0: head-to-head this week?
1: So I'm going to pull a move that I haven't done, but both of you guys have. So it's kind of a trick question. It's not exactly a head-to-head, but I'm going to zoom out a little bit. I'm not going to go to one specific commander, but all Planeswalker decks all together. So right now, according to the website, there's 2,800 and change Planeswalker decks reported to the site. Of the top 20 commanders for those, 15 of them are four-plus color identity. Of the five commanders that are not four-color, which color combination is the only one that has more than one legendary representing it?
0: I'm afraid I don't understand
2: the question okay. at all. <laughs> I I totally understood it, Matt, but could you yeah. explain it again for Joey? Okay because I, I got right it. Like, don't, don't don't Life, it. i totally got it but like Life for him, experiences could you, could you redo it
1: yes uh so of the of the top 20 commanders for the planeswalker themes 15 of them are four or five colors okay. so if you remove one of those colors and we just go down to three or less we only have five commanders there let me let me think of how to reword this then
2: no i, I know what you mean so So you're talking about commanders that aren't four or five colors that are among the most popular Planeswalker generals.
1: Yes, yes. Planeswalker-themed decks, uh, there's only five of them in the top 20 that are not four or five colors. Which color combination has more than one commander in the top 20?
2: Which color combination? So, okay. Um, Oh, wow. I would have
0: to probably Windmill Slam on Bant. That strikes me as having the most synergies. So if we're not looking at four or five color Planeswalker decks, I think that things like, I don't know, it's something that we mentioned a little bit earlier with things like Inexorable Tide, but then there's also a lot of white support as we saw with Oath of Teferi, but then also Oath of Gideon is another really great one that adds additional loyalty counters. I think that generally those two colors and then the green for the doubling season, obviously. So that would have to be my guess. I'm not sure precisely which generals they might be, because things like Rune or Derevi might not be the best for Planeswalker shenanigans. Maybe I'm wrong, but I still think that those colors just generally provide so many different types of support that if we're not looking at four or five color decks for super friend strategies, I think Bant probably wins out having the most support.
1: Yeah, you you reworded it a good way. What is the top non four or five color combination? You know, according to the site. So, Dana, Dana, what do you think?
2: Huh. Um, I feel like among the non four or more color commanders, Narset is probably the most popular. Ooh, that's a good one. But I, I'm I'm struggling to think of anything else in those colors. That would care, and i would assume that like, this could technically be a two-color combo as well, right? Not necessarily yes, just three. three?
1: Yeah, yeah, three or less versus four or more.
2: So I'm going to go with the Zorius because it encompasses Narset as well as some of the stuff from Bant, I, I think, technically, if that's how it works. So I'm going to go with the Zorius
0: especially things like Brago could be a yeah. really good point there mm-hmm. because it resets. You can tick down and then Brago will blink them back immediately. And he's sort of a, a walking oath of Teferi himself. So that's actually a really good point.
1: Yeah. So Matt, what's the answer? So the the answer, Joey is correct, is Bant. Okay. Uh, Woo, with nice. two commanders in the top 20. What are those commanders? Those commanders um, are going to be Angus McKenzie. Oh, he's the, oh yeah. He's sure. the number eight <laughs> planeswalker commander. Mr. Prevent All Damage to Tap. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's
0: perfect for Planeswalkers. Keeps them very protected. Yeah,
1: then you got to go down to number 14 for Derevi, Imperial Tactician. Uh, yeah. The number one Planeswalker that is not four or five colors is Narset, though. So, Dana, you are kind of right.
2: Derevi makes sense, too, because you got to do the stacks build there to keep your stuff safe. Yeah, uh, I can see that. That's a good. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but then if you, if you go yeah. down a little bit lower, uh, go down to number 17, Queen Marchesa actually uh, is up there on the list. So. Uh, Bant has two commanders in the top 20, Jeskai has one, Mardu has one, and then number 19 is Aloro. As the mm. uh, all the commanders who are not four or five colors, which just shows like people kind of tend to just do five color super friends, throw caution to the wind, because most of them are going to be four or five colors.
0: Yeah, that does make a lot of sense, actually. And things like Marchesa or Olaro, they tend to favor a little bit longer of a game because it provides them with additional value, and Planeswalkers are excellent there. As for Narset, well, she, you know, who doesn't like having three Planeswalkers? Busted. So, absolutely. That was a really good one, actually, once we understood the question. Once we is.
1: understood, yes. that was It was kind of a lot to process. So.
0: Yeah.
2: Dana, what's your head-to-head? So I'm going to go outside the box here a little bit and give you more than the typical uh, two choices, but I think it's on theme. All five members of the original Gatewatch configuration have an Oath card. You mentioned Oath of the Fairy, but that doesn't count because he wasn't in the top five. So, of those first five Oaths, what's the most popular? We've got Oath of Gideon, Oath of Jace, Oath of Chandra, Oath of Liliana, and Oath of Nissa.
1: I'm going to go with Oath of Nissa. Uh, Being able to spend mana of any color to cast your Planeswalkers, especially when you talk about how many five-color Planeswalker decks are out there. Uh, Oath of Nyssa,
0: 100%. That's a really good question and a good guess. I know for sure that it's not Oath of Chandra because that one's a little underwhelming compared to the others. So, for example, Oath of Liliana allows you to like it makes someone else sacrifice a creature, and I think it even gives you Zombie blockers if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, oath of Gideon, though, that's the one that's capturing my attention right now because it gives your Planeswalkers additional loyal ca- loyalty counters when they enter, and it also gives you two Soldier blockers to help protect your Planeswalkers. Well, I, I will, I will,
2: so, I will pause you for a second and say you are correct. Oath yes. of Chandra is is the last place oath. Yeah, it's it's the only one within less than a thousand decks. It's only in three hundred. If that tells you how much less liked it is than the rest of them so it's not oath of chandra
0: for sure i'm i'm gonna i think yeah i'm gonna final answer on on oath of gideon but i would not be surprised if it was indeed oath of nissa it
2: is really close it's in with about 150 cards but oath of nissa is number one
0: yeah.
2: uh, ah. ahead of oath of gideon
0: yeah that makes sense especially as matt was talking about with all of those i mean people like having their planeswalkers and they like having them in all colors so oath of nissa really cleans up your mana base
2: I would also say Oath of Gideon probably adds a little bit of utility as well, because when it comes into play, it, it just makes you two core allies. So there's probably some situations where for three mana, that's probably worth doing in some token decks or in some kind of an ally deck, even if you're not using the Super Friends part of it. Um, and I will also say Oath I'm running it in my wreck history Kamigawa deck, even though I only have two Planeswalkers, because it's a, it's a one-mana cantrip that lets me dig down into my library it's a that's a great card in that deck and i'm also barely ever taking advantage of that that mana ability because it's a mono green deck but it's still a great card in that deck so i think
0: oh that's a great point for recce because it's, it's a legendary card champion, so recce yeah. draws you a card see this is why i gave you the recce nickname this right is, exactly
2: <laughs> but yeah so both those two i think looking at them those two are the most they're, they're both quite good and they also have some utility outside of just being in a super friends deck Yeah,
1: well, That makes a lot of sense. Green is just looking at those top 20 commanders again. Uh, You have to go down to Queen Marchesa at number 17 to find a Super Friends Planeswalker theme deck that doesn't have green. Yes, we said Narset is up there, but Narset's not actually casting her her Planeswalkers. (laughs) She's cheating them into play, but everything else all the way down to Queen Marchesa has green in there
2: the ability to doubling season like that's that's almost the first thing anyone says when they're doing an evaluation of a new planeswalker can you ult it off doubling season
1: yeah yeah just green white in general like even you know when you get down to queen marchesa there's at least white which is probably the second best planeswalker support color
0: yeah uh, good discussion. this was fun I really enjoyed this head to head this week Let's move on now, though. We've got another sort of subtopic that we we want to talk about regarding planeswalkers, and that's the planeswalker commanders. Obviously, we don't have any data yet about the upcoming planeswalker commanders like Lord Windgrace or Estrid or any of them, but we do have some data about the previous planeswalkers that could be your commanders such as like uh, Freilis and Obnixilis and Teferi, all of them. So Matt, how about you let us know the order of popularity of those Planeswalkers as commanders?
1: So I kind of hinted towards this a little bit ago, but first place we do have Duretti in 1,244 decks as the commander, Teferi in 679, Freilis, the green one, uh, 601 decks, Nahiri, 509, and finally Sadboy on Obnixilis, 248 decks we've got
0: a lot of numbers right there but uh, i mean man this almost looks like an exponential graph or something right there Duretti at 1200 and then the next most popular commander is teferi at almost half that amount that's crazy and then obnixless down there at like barely a quarter barely a fifth of the amount of Duretti. did is this the order or the types of statistics that you guys expected for these commanders
1: I'm not really surprised. the The middle three were interchangeable in my in the back of my mind. Duretti just he was so popular. He did a lot of cool stuff with artifacts, and then Obnixilis, who just did a whole lot of not much. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I
0: like black because it lets me reanimate all of the fun stuff. But Obnixilus didn't really excite me, even though I like playing. I mean, I even used to play mono black control back in standard around the future site time and. Yeah, List just is kind of like, uh, you know, give or take. It, it didn't impress me the way that a lot of these other guys have. Like Teferi, actually, that's the one that surprises me. I would have expected Teferi to blow all, all of the rest out of the water because he's competitive and he's just big and splashy, which appeals to a very diverse range of player subtypes. But Duretti doing red artifact stuff, people were just hungry for it, I guess.
2: Well, I think it goes to show like what the majority of the player base maybe is. I mean, Teferi as a CEDH commander is... like top tier, you know, it's, it's one of the three best decks you're going to build just full stop. And it's only in 639 decks in the site versus Doretti, who is a perfectly fine commander, but you know, you're limited to be mono red and you're limited because it's, it's artifact shenanigans basically only, but it's really, really popular by comparison. I mean, it's in more decks than number two and number three combined, or at least really close to that number. So I think that goes to show, you know, having that kind of fun, casual appeal there's a lot more of those people are out there than there are diehard, cutthroat C E D H players.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say that makes sense. I think that speaks a little bit about the quality of the monocolor commanders too. Uh, just what options you have out there compared to Duretti, as opposed to compared to Teferi, you know, what are they competing with? Uh, we sure. talk a lot about mono red. And I, and I even, you know, in my Valda Grant, I get a chance to bring him up this episode. Uh, saying he's <laughs> he's saying he's probably a top five, maybe top ten. Mono Red Commander of all time, and, and Dana, you said, does that speak about Valdeck or does it speak more to the quality of mono red commanders? Whereas if you go to Mono Blue, there's a lot more competition. You have stuff like Talrand and all your artifact utility creatures like Psy and any, you know, any of the, the Kaladesh one, uh, Kaladesh block commanders, I was drawing a blank on all their names. But there's, you know, a decent density in mono blue for commanders, and just having a decent quality one, whereas mono red, there's not that. So Duretti just has a lot less to compete with. And I think that's why you see so many more Duretti decks out there as opposed to the others.
2: That's a great point. If you want to play mono red artifacts, you're just going to play Duretti. I mean, technically there's like, you know, Bosch Iron Golem and you can maybe play P and Kern and Alar, but Duretti's so much better and probably so much more interesting than all of those. There's a lot of stuff like it's, it's a very busy commander. You're flipping stuff in and out of the graveyard. It's, it's, it's an entertaining thing to play. So yeah, it, Completely makes sense when you see the numbers and think about it that Duretti is so popular. He does, he hits a lot of quadrants. There's not competition. He's fun. I totally get it.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly it. Teferi is competing against the likes of, you know, a, a zombie or Talrand. And uh, Nahiri is competing against the likes of, I don't know, Kembaka Regent, another excellent, you know, <laughs> a, a equipment planeswalker. And in black, you've got other stuff. I mean, You've got, you've got a whole ton of stuff. You can build even a, a Machaeus deck or an Erebus deck or Gonti now. Ghoul Caller Gisa came out in the same product as Obnixilis. And Ghoulcaller is just like, hey, I like zombies. And players like me are like, hey, me too. So yeah, they have a lot more competition. Whereas Duretti has to compete against things like you said, like Bosh, which is kind of like, ah whatever. And Feldon of the third path. Yeah, it had a lot less to, to go up against. So it definitely filled a really great niche. And as we've seen on the statistics before, filling your niche and doing it well definitely leads to high popularity.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, the numbers carry over, too, when you look at them, not as, not as commanders, but if you look at them in the 99 of decks, uh, Duretti holds steady as as the leading, you know, leading the pack. He's in uh, 7,362 decks, so 6% of all mono-red decks, or not mono-red, excuse me, 6% of red decks are playing Duretti, whereas Teferi, he shows up in uh, 6,416, so 5% of all possible decks. Uh, Freilis, 6,241, also 5%. Uh, Nahiri shows up in 3,615, showing up at 3% possible decks. And then Obnixilis, 2,682, so 2%. So the same order as you know how popular they are as commanders carries over in the exact order as how popular they are uh, in the 99 as well. Yeah, that I'm so glad you brought this up because that was the thing that
0: really struck me. I had totally expected the numbers to be different when comparing like these commanders as commanders versus comparing these cards in the 99 of decks. I did not expect already to be as popular as, as he was. I really expected Teferi to probably be atop top both of these lists. And I mean, you know, the second of the five, that's not bad. But Teferi is just so versatile because he can draw you one of the top two cards of your deck or he can untap your permanence like these blue ramp that's that's so good every time i see him i'm just like how are more people not playing him but there are still a whole ton of people that are doing awesome artifact strategies so i guess i shouldn't be shocked that they is still seeing play whether you know the, the most amount of play whether as a commander or in the decks i don't know were you guys did you expect the numbers to be different when comparing the percentage of decks that they show up in versus them as commanders
2: no it, it makes sense like i, I feel like If you're building something like Brea, you're probably going to consider Doretti as a slot for a slot in that deck. So whereas does anybody, any other Planeswalkers really maybe jump out and include Nahiri if you're playing some kind of an equipment deck, maybe. But the Doretti one for sure makes sense as also being in the deck.
0: Yeah, Nahiri felt to me like she's also so niche that she would also appear in a really high percentage of the decks that could play her. But I, I guess not. And then again, now that I think about it, the decks that could play her are just white decks, not just equipment decks. So that probably is just I was misevaluating what the number of possibilities for her would be. So that's probably why I shouldn't be as surprised as I am to see the percentages for these guys.
2: And power level wise, Nahiri is relatively weak. I mean. It, men, yeah. mentioning my um, DeGiro deck again, Nahiri was in the deck for a while because there's just so few mono-white Planeswalkers that are available, but she's she's since rotated out, I think, the last of Johnny that came out in the core set bumped her out of the deck because, you know, granted there's only like 16 options, but she doesn't make the top 14.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Freya Lee's also kind of surprised me though because she's just, she feels a little bit like, uh, what what is the other new Planeswalker that came out? Vivian, Vivian Reed, Reed, I think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She feels a lot to me like that, where she's just very solid value. She's going to do something really cool for you. And so it's interesting to see that she's in the middle and not, I don't know, a little higher. I kind of expected Teferi and least to eclipse Doretti in terms of the percentage of decks that could play them in the 99.
1: Yeah, I thought Fraylis would be... I was I, going into it, if you wouldn't have shown me the numbers and I had to blind guess, I would have said Fraylis is probably at the top because uh, Elf Tribal is just a very popular tribe in general. We talked about that on our Tribal episode uh, you have Azuri, Mono Green, I'm not gonna trigger Joey. Um uh, green Azuri. <laughs> uh, you have just all sorts of just elf tribal, you have Reese the Redeemed, all that kind of fun stuff, and Frailis fits in very, very well with those. So I was a little surprised that Frailies was in third. It's not by much, it's only by 160 decks or so, but Nahiri being so low didn't really surprise me. Obnixilis. <laughs> but um but the top three, I, I think, like I said, the, the middle three are kind of interchangeable to if you would ask me. But it's not really surprising Duretti is so popular just because he he does so many different things, regardless of what your theme is. Right. And I guess something
0: that is important to note, Duretti has nearly twice as many decks as Teferi when he's the commander, but he's not in twice as many decks as Teferi when it comes to the percentage. He's only in about a thousand more decks than Teferi, which is I mean, still significant, but his percentage is 6% of possible decks as opposed to Teferi's 5% of possible decks. So there is still some deviation in the data that we see there. Regardless, I mean, these are some pretty awesome cards. I mean,
1: no lie. But you also see Duretti, you know, we talk about being in 248 compared to 1244. Uh, I mean, that number carries over in the 99 as well. Obnixilis is only in 2,600 decks, almost 2,700, whereas Duretti is in you know, almost 7,400. So, you know, almost triple the number there too. Yeah, that's the the
0: exponential curve on these when comparing them as commanders versus index is slightly lower, but it is still definitely perceptible. That's for sure. So I've got one last question for you guys. What do you think is a really good non-obvious commander for Planeswalker decks? This kind of goes back to the discussion we had with the listener question at the beginning of the show. What would be a good Commander to use if you've got a lot of Planeswalkers in your decks. That isn't, you know, immediately obvious. Something not like a Traxa, but maybe something that's very subtly powerful and synergizes with Planeswalkers or protects them in some way. What do you think?
2: Well, I mean, I mentioned this deck already, but I'll mention a different version of it. Um, I think you could absolutely make a Riki History Kamigawa super Superfriends deck in mono green, if if you are willing to count colorless Planeswalkers. Um, there's 18 different options you can choose from. That's enough planeswalkers. If even if you drop out the couple of like starter deck ones that aren't that great, um, there's a kind of a bad Nyssa, and I think one of the, the Vivian isn't that great. But that still gives you plenty of options um, to run a actual mono green Friends deck, and being able to draw a card off playing that Walker is really really useful. So I think you could do that there if you wanted to, and by a similar. Um, Token. You could do the same thing with Joyra, or Weatherlight Captain. You could build a Joyra Superfriends deck for the same reason. You can draw a card off any of the red or blue, um, or is it Walkers you play? So I think there's there's decks there you could do if you wanted to.
0: That's an excellent one, Matt. What do you
1: think? Um, I actually w- went started thinking about my uh, of the Black Rose deck that I used to have years and years ago. Um, it was all about stealing all you know everybody's creatures, but it would be a really good deck to slot in you know five or six different Planeswalkers. Uh, even though it is Grixis, but it's really hard to attack, you know, the planeswalkers that you have when you already control all the other people's creatures. So huh. it was just it's a different way to approach it. Um you know it's good at playing defense because there is no offense to play defense against. Uh, but then, that's that's really funny actually. You can't attack my planeswalkers with your creatures if you don't have creatures. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, you play, you know, active treason effects, you have propaganda, you have counter spells. Um, so there's a lot of ways to play defense with it. Without actually playing a whole lot of defense because you're just controlling the board so well. So um, that was one thing that I kind of thought was interesting. Just look, looking back at my past decks.
2: There's one more. I, if I didn't um, already have that Jero deck, I would I would build this next one I'm going to mention, and that's Niambi, Faith, Faithful Healer, out of the Is that from the Planeswalker out deck? of the um, Planeswalker deck from from Dominaria. And she's a legend, and when she enters the battlefield, you might search your library or graveyard for a card named Teferi time Bender, Reveal it and put it into your hand. So you can essentially almost run Nyambi and Teferi as pseudo-partners. And that Teferi isn't particularly good or anything, but I think that would be a super fun deck to play, to have Azorius super friends and semi-have the bad Teferi as your commander because you would go get it every time you cast Nyambi.
0: You know, that's not a terrible idea, but I think I can do you one better. The uh, The non-obvious commander that I would use if I were to do a Super Friends deck would actually be the real partners, Peer and Toothy. Because Peer, imaginative rascal, is a 3-mana 1-1 who says if one more counters would be put on a permanent your team controls, that many plus one of those counters are put on that permanent instead, which also actually synergizes with loyalty abilities. So it is pretty neat. Not only do your Planeswalkers enter with additional counters because of your commander, but when you tick up their loyalty, they get even more loyalty there too. So I think that would be a really neat idea to to synergize with them as well. Plus Toothy's just over there getting big and drawing new cards in case your whole board goes away. So then you can reset, which I think is pretty good value. Yeah, I like that as well. well. I can get behind that. And aside from that, I'd also probably say the uh, Brago is another great at, option as well because he blinks those planeswalkers, so you can get multiple activations out of them a turn. Uh, but that's nothing new, I think. We don't need to encourage <laughs> people more people. Yeah,
1: we don't need to encourage more Brago players. That just that that's too much. <laughs> I was actually just thinking, uh, you know, Joey, you've been talking about Lord Windgrace a lot lately. I would go a different. Yeah. I would go a different new Jun Commander. Well, not new in Commander eighteen, but of uh, Evictus Asmati. Um, what's better than you know, playing Planeswalkers—if you're just cheating them into play and getting a a free Garrett collar of beats—that <laughs> sounds pretty fun to me. And you know, you have some Sylvan Library type of effects and stuff like that too. So, yeah.
0: I think it sounds like we're all on board. You know, Planeswalkers are pretty fun. Is the message that I think we're getting today?
1: I yeah yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, when like we've kind of said the whole episode, they're they're all pretty fun and they're they can be pretty spicy. They can you know throw a nice curveball into a deck. Absolutely.
0: We've got one more segment today, and that is challenge the stats. We're gonna take a pretty critical look at some of the data that we see here, and maybe say that the cards that are seeing a lot of play shouldn't see as much play, or the cards that aren't seeing enough play should see a lot more. So, Dana, how about you start us off this week with challenge the stats?
2: I certainly can, um, and this is a card I actually mentioned um, on Commander Central um, as a card that's kind of been an MVP in a couple of games lately, but. Me talking about it there made me think about it more here and dig down a little bit into the actual stats versus just seeing it do well in games. And that's Berserk, is only in 1,500 decks on EDH Rack. And Berserk, for one green mana, at instant speed, you can cast a spell only before the combat damage step, and it says target creature gains trample and gets plus X plus O until end of turn where X is its power. And at the beginning of the next end step, destroy that creature if it attacked this turn. So for one mana, you essentially double the, the power of a creature and give it Trample. And that, like, superficially seems like it's pretty good, but it's also a one-and-done ability. But, man, in a lot of decks, you just kill somebody with for one green mana. Um, I mean, not every deck, but there's a lot of decks that routinely have, like, a big 14 drop or something out, out that's, that's going to be scary enough coming in. And when you turn it into a 28, you just kill somebody. And then... In addition to that, you have commanders like Silvala where you're tapping her for some ridiculous amount of mana based on the, the power of the creature you control. A Berserk creature doesn't die till end of turn. So, like, second main phase, you can tap Savala and basically, in a lot of those decks, she's running huge creatures, so she can tap for, you know, 8 or 10 mana. Or in this case, when you're doubling it, you're tapping it for 16 or 20. Xenagost God of Revels is already doubling the power of a creature that's swinging in, and Berserk lets you double that again. Like, so many times that's going to put you over the top to take somebody out. Crash the Bloodbraided, whenever a creature dies, you put counters on Crash equal to its power. Why not double the power of the creature for killing one person and then make Crash that much stronger? But Berserks in less than 20% of Silvalla decks, less than 10% of Xenagos got a Revels decks, and less than 5% of Crash decks. I mean, it doesn't go everywhere, but it should be in a lot more of those decks in particular.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a blowout. I mean, yes, your creature sometimes, it's going to die, it's Berserk, but you know who else is going to die? Your opponent.
2: Right, and then Mm -hmm. you're in green too, so then, okay, it's going to die, but I'm just going to then cast Life's Legacy for two mana and draw, you know, 28 cards off the creature that's going to die anyway, or greater good. it doesn't destroy until the end of the turn. Right, yeah. And
0: actually, it doesn't say sacrifice, does does it? It says destroy. So if
2: you blink it or you have a way to make it indestructible, you can keep the creature around as well.
0: That's a really spicy And deck, it's one too. mana. Like it's it
2: one single mana. It's just so versatile. It's so useful. It's so easy to cast. It, it should be in more than 1,500 decks. And, and heck, you can use it on an opponent's creature. So Absolutely. Sort of like yeah, You can yeah, be a little political with it. Yeah, you can use it as a kill spell, essentially.
1: Yeah, well, and the, the best thing about that when you use it on an opponent's creature is you kill them. You kill one opponent, and then that creature can't attack you because it's dead right. the next turn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good That's card. really cool. I love it. That's awesome. I'm going to move on to my challenges stats now, and I'm actually going to be taking a critical look at Propaganda and Ghostly Prison, specifically in the Planeswalker Commander decks that we were talking about earlier Teferi and Nahiri. Propaganda and Ghostly Prison are really great defensive effects, but they've got the same problem that we mentioned at the top of the show with Miri Weatherlight Duelist. They say that they'll prevent people from attacking you unless people pay two, but they don't say that they'll prevent people from attacking you or planeswalkers you control. And this is such an easy thing to miss that, Matt, I think you, in fact, even missed it earlier when you were talking about potentially a Queen... Not Queen Marchesa. Uh, Marchesa the Black Rose using that as a planeswalker deck because you mentioned and you could run Propaganda for defense, but Propaganda doesn't actually stop people from attacking your planeswalkers. It doesn't tax them for that. And yet... About 16% of people are playing Propaganda in Teferi, and about 10% of people are playing Ghostly Prison in Nahiri. And I just want to make sure that people are aware that those don't protect your planeswalker. you got to be aware of that, because it's really easy to forget. Especially compared to some other effects, like Sphere of Safety, for example, which does specify that your planeswalkers have attacks as well. Sphere of Safety actually says creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control, unless their controller pays X for each of... uh, each of those creatures where X is the number of enchantments that you control. So it actually does specify the Planeswalker thing there, whereas Ghostly Prison and Propaganda don't. So don't rush too soon to put the propaganda and ghostly prison into your planeswalker decks. I mean in the upcoming Estra deck, it's an Enchantress. They're still probably good enough to run anyway, let's be real. But just be aware of how that interaction works because in a Planeswalker deck, you're going to want something else on defense to keep your Planeswalkers alive.
2: But also also be aware that if you are playing Ghost Prisoner Propaganda and you happen to have a Planeswalker out, you're under no obligation to remind anyone on the board that they can in fact attack your Planeswalker <laughs> because it's shocking the amount of times people don't know that.
1: Yeah, I'm still a right. fan
2: of lying to your friends. <laughs>
1: don't, it's, don't, if you, you don't, don't have to go them, out of your way to remind them
2: it's not a lie Matt I think that's fair you're just not telling them what they can do
0: yeah don't 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 lie like Matt we know how he wins all of his games oh, how dare he but yeah like it is also there's a burden for your opponents to know how the cards work as well so you know that's not a terrible trick but overall I'm not sure that it's worth getting into the discussion yes, about correct because once people know they're gonna hit your stuff and you don't want them to hit your stuff so I would advocate just running something that's a bit more solid on the defense category Matt, how about your challenge to stats?
1: So I also have a, a green card, a little underplayed if you ask me. Um, that card is Abundance. Abundance is an enchantment for two and two green. I think it might start seeing a little more play with the uh, the enchantments deck that's coming out here. Uh, but Abundance reads, if you would draw a card, you may instead choose land or non-land and reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card in your hand and put all other cards revealed on the bottom of your library in any order. So I was playing Mary this weekend and uh, I had a, I believe I was running 39 lands in the first first go around. And I flooded out super bad until I hit Abundance. Um, So Abundance is great because, it you know, if you're trying to not flood out, say you have enough lands in play, you don't need any more. You can just say, no, I'm good. And skip through it, get to the next non-land card. On the other hand, you'll look at some of the top-played commanders for the, for abundance. Uh, Borber, Borberigmos, Enraged, Angry Bobo. A couple down is Omnath, Locus of Rage. Two that care quite a bit about lands and, and having them come into play. So we, it's just the versatility of being able to get another land. So you can you know throw it at somebody's face with Bobo play your land, get a landfall trigger with Angry Omnath, or if you don't want any more land, say you are flooding out, it makes sure that you keep the action coming. It just sits there and passively does what it's going to do. And it's whenever you draw a card, it's not just your draw for the turn. So if you cast a spell that says draw X cards, you can say, I want a land and two business spells with my Harmonize. And you can control that. So just the way that you can help control your draws, keep the action coming so that you're not flooding out, you're not... Um, drawing dead cards for a while is super, super helpful just to help um, keep you in games.
0: You know, that's pretty solid reasoning. One of the reasons I'm excited to build a Yannet Cryptid and Sovereign deck is so that I can manipulate the top card of my deck and always ensure what I know I'm going to draw. So, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much the same philosophy there. And
2: yeah. one, one important abundance interaction worth mentioning is Sylvan Library is oftentimes going to be in the same deck with abundance. Mm-hmm. The way abundance is worded because it's a replacement effect you take the three draws off Sylvan Library and do not have to put two cards back as you're replacing those with Abundance. You don't take the damage Ooh. off Sylvan Library. You still have to do the Abundance thing where you name land or non-land, but you don't have to put two cards back and take damage. Interesting. That is pretty spicy. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, plenty of plenty of times if you're playing Abundance, you're probably playing Library. or Very often you're playing Library in the same deck anyway, so that's a really good interaction to be aware of.
1: Yeah, draw three is pretty good <laughs>
2: yep
0: drawing cards is good that's I, breaking news 11, I can't do anything. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and doubling season is good with planeswalkers who knew <laughs> green yeah go green but yeah no abundance is just a, a sweet enchantment it's like a quarter right now so if you want another one of those quarter cards it's a pretty solid addition it's only four mana so you can still play it early on and draw two lands and then you never draw land again perfect yeah, yeah.
0: I think a lot of times, I mean, this is EDH, so we look for really splashy effects, but a lot of power lies in subtlety. And so some of these options that we've mentioned here are really good for them.
1: Although in the case of Dana's Berserk, there's nothing subtle about that one. Not mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> I should also mention that Abundance is only played in 4,415 decks right now, which is super low compared to a lot of the cards that we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, that's true. But they're definitely some really great options. Do you guys have any other last minute thoughts that you want to share about Planeswalkers and EDH?
2: They're good. They are good. I, I do, from a, from an outside-the-game-playing perspective, I'm not like a super diehard Vorthos guy or anything, but I do like the extra layer of storytelling and kind of lore they've brought to the game. Seeing these same characters come back and come up repeatedly and seeing kind of how their cards have reflected, how the characters have changed from set to set to set, I think has added a, a lot to the game for me. So I'm a fan of that part of Planeswalkers for sure.
0: That's definitely the case for me as well. I'm really happy to see them. I know that when they first were released, people were kind of like, "Ah, aren't we supposed to be the Planeswalkers as players, just flavorfully? But they still have some really cool interactions in the game. And I like seeing the decks that spring up around them because they're a very unique card type. And I'm really looking forward to the new Planeswalkers that are coming out in Commander 2018. With that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
1: Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S 55, Uh, and you can find the podcast over at EDH
2: RecCast on the Twitters. (laughs) And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter bird as well, at Dana Roach, and you can listen to me once a week, and if you didn't get enough of me here, uh, another podcast, Commander Central.
0: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. The M stands for mimeoplasm. (laughs) Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn on Twitter.
2: Whoa, hold
0: up, Joey. I'll let you be wrong about Azuri, but I'm not letting you be wrong about my username. It's actually Loader, L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when EDHREC cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can contact us at edhreccast at gmail.com, as Matt mentioned. And hey, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. So you bought them without buying them?
2: Yeah, so they're right. So So I got got them even cheaper, probably. Then Woe
0: is me, I accidentally bought nine copies of Replenish. Whatever shall I do with my my life?
2: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated US-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
1: You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.